Hey everyone, this is Mike Skinner. I want to welcome you to the sermon podcast for Sweetwater Christian Church. We are glad that you are interested in joining us as we follow Christ. If you'd ever like to support our ministry financially or just learn more about us, head on over to sweetwaterchristian.org. Thanks and God bless. Well, it's good to see all of you this morning. Morning, so glad you've joined us for worship. We are wrapping up a four-week sermon series on generosity this morning. So they all kind of go together a bit. Um, And so if you haven't caught any of the earlier ones and you're interested, they're online. You can catch them on the podcast. But we'll be wrapping this up this morning. As I was getting ready to finish our sermon series on generosity, I was kind of uh, wasting some time on the internet. I don't know if you've ever done this in came across someone perusing some of the deeper questions of life, and a young lady had asked this question. Um, I don't know if you're familiar, the new Disney streaming service has come out, right? And now with that and Netflix and Hulu and Prime and all these other things, for those of us who cut the cable cord many years ago, now we're paying just as much, if not more, to stream all these things independently. But, But she had come to this existential question, which was, I wonder if giving my pastor my Disney Plus account password qualifies as my tithe. And I was like, I can rule in here as a pastor. Yes, it does. And then I thought, you know, I've been preaching for weeks, and this was really what I was trying to look for the whole time. I mean, this was the content that I was aiming for, and it just took me a roundabout way to get here. But yes, that very much qualifies, uh, results in the thanksgiving given to God and, and all that, that great stuff. And so we've got a few more minutes to spare, I guess. Um, we talk about generosity, um, and let me invite you to uh, open up with me to the scriptures, if you would, as we do so. Um, we'll be in the book of 2 Corinthians, and so you are invited to open up to the book of 2 Corinthians. If you don't have a Bible with you, there is a black hardback underneath a seat around you, and you're more than welcome to grab one of those if you'd like. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is where we'll camp out. If you were with us last week, um, we did visit this passage last week, and, and we'll just do so again this week. In the whole series, we've been using 1 Timothy as our starting point. And I figured for many of us now for the three weeks, it's a little bit etched in your brain, and so we don't have to physically necessarily start there. But I will read for you kind of the the passage we've been working out of. It comes from 1 Timothy. You can just listen. Um, It reads like this. As for the rich in the present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so they may take hold of that which is truly life. As for the rich in this present age, as for those who have been blessed, charge them not to be proud or boastful about their riches, to put their hopes in it, but instead put their hopes on God, who himself is the one who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Instead, he says, tell them to be rich in good works, to do good, to be generous, to be ready to share. And by doing so, they'll store up treasures for themselves, for the future, and they'll be able to take hold of that which is truly life. This is what we've been exploring the past few weeks. Last week, we we did what I called a 30,000-foot kind of overview of giving um, in terms of being gener- generous with our finances. What does the, the scriptures have to say about giving, um, helping to um, contribute to the needs uh, that the church might have, contribute to the needs that we might have in the world, things of that nature. Um, and, and largely last week, what I did is I said, we're going to kind of 
fly over at 30,000 feet, and we'll come back next week today, and we'll ask some on-the-ground questions. What does this look like in our everyday lives as we try to live out some of these, these principles and these commands uh, that we find in these scriptures? And so just as a quick refresher on last week, what we did was we said normally when it comes to giving, most Christians, their minds and hearts and attentions kind of center in on this command to tithe that you find in the Bible. And I argued that as Christians in the New Covenant, that whatever we might find in the Old Testament concerning a tithe does not directly apply to you and I. Um, there's not a direct correlation to that. And in fact, I, I said, I think some kind of external rule or principle or universal percentage given for giving is not what we've been called to as, as Christians. That instead of laying out some kind of percentage that you and I can kind of just, without doing much thinking or reflection, meet or not meet, and then say we're being generous or we're meeting commands to give and give back, said the New Testament calls us to a different kind of giving, different levels of giving. And, and I just point out three principles that you find in the New Testament for giving, as opposed to perhaps like a 10% tithe that we might say is just universally commanded to go out amongst everybody. The first was that giving in the New Testament seems to be broadly needs-based. It's based on the needs. What are the administrative and ministry needs of the local church? It seems to be a consideration for the apostles as they teach on giving as they talk about it? What are the needs in the community, personal needs around people? What are the global needs? What kind of injustices need to be righted, and can the church address with that? And, and giving more than on any kind of strict percentage point or any kind of external rule or law that applies at all times and in all places is based on the needs that one finds around them, the opportunities that God has put in front of them. We, we then said the second one would be that generosity is a, is a part of our process of discipleship. It's part of our, our spiritual growth as Christians. It's not just a checklist item to mark off. It's rather a very integral part of what it means to become Christ-like, what it means to grow in our faith. Christ, who though he was rich, became poor for our sake. As we reflect and grow in generosity, this is a vital kind of sign marker it's a health marker of where we are and how we're growing and how we're progressing and reflecting God's character. And lastly, we said that, that giving in the New Testament is part of our evangelical witness to the world. When we give generously among ourselves and among the people around us and to the world around us, this is a sign that goes out to the rest of the world. God is up to something new in the world. The things don't have to be the way that they've always been for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, but Christ has come, a kingdom has been inaugurated, and those looking for good news should be able to see around them a community invaded by God's Spirit who can bear witness to a new type of living, a new type of sharing, a new type of giving. Now, what does that look like on a ground level? What kind of questions can we ask ourselves to kind of work that out on a day-to-day -day basis? That's what I want to do with you this morning. And to do so, I wanted to, to look at a text that we did look at last week as well, but um, we find it in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We'll pick it up in verse 6. Paul is talking about giving here. He's trying to take up a collection from the church in Corinth to meet a need in the Jerusalem church. And he gives us a really profound passage here, just a few verses. Verse 6, he says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. He says there's some kind of economy at work here. There's some kind of give and take. 
Because the point is, those who we don't give very much aren't going to be given very much in return. The passage we saw in 1 Timothy uses this language, store up treasures for yourself. Jesus talks about this when he talks on money and finances and wealth. He says, store up treasures for yourself where you'll get a good return, where the thieves won't break in and steal, where the moths won't get in and destroy and rust away. We talked about that you'll never be able to outgive God. You'll never outrun God's generosity. Verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Notice the foundation for our generosity. It's God's generosity. It's his resources. There's never going to be, it seems from this passage, an opportunity in front of us, a need to be met, a way to be generous that we won't be able to meet because of who our God is. If we, if we start on the wrong foot, we'll end in the wrong place. And so if we're still working out of a mindset of scarcity, if we're still working out of a worldview where um, things are tight and there's not enough to go around and you've got to grab what is yours onto it and hoard onto it, you'll never get to this generous place. Instead, if you start with God's abundance and God's infinite resources, then you're freed up to give and give generously because the God of all sufficiency at all times, at all places, and with all things will help you abound in every good work. The instructions he gives about giving, I think, are very interesting. And this is one of the reasons, I think, that the tithe kind of way of approaching giving doesn't quite work for you and I as Christians. In verse 7, he says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This is so interesting to me. So, so often, I'll point out to you that perhaps we often have a temptation to read the Bible in individualistic terms. Is really talking about a community. And I'll point out sometimes we read pronouns and they're really second person plural pronouns. He's talking about a community of people and not individuals. But here I want to point out the opposite. He's, he is here talking about individuals in Corinth. And when he gets to how much should they be giving, he does not say 10%. He does not refer back to some principle of a tithe that you find in the Old Testament. He could. He very well could have. Instead, he says this is something that's going to require reflection. It's going to require some heart work. This is something that I want you to think on, to decide, make a decision. And then, very importantly, he follows that with, and then be happy about it. Be joyful about it. Be a cheerful giver. The cheerfulness, the joy that we find in giving, I think, should work in so many directions in our lives. Um, there's this powerful psychological reframing technique where, where we can take things and we can just change the language up. And instead of saying, I have to or I got to do something, I get to do something. And in my own life, when I do that, it kind of works out so many different other things in my heart and my mind. And when it comes to giving, this is kind of the instructions we're given in the New Testament. You don't have to give, you get to give. It, it's something that should create joy in your heart, something that creates cheerfulness in you. And anyone, I think, who has decided for themselves in their heart what the Lord has called them to do should be able to find joy in following 
what they've discerned from the Holy Spirit. I think this works in both ways. And so I'm going to take you through a couple questions we might ask ourselves about how this might look in our own personal lives. And for some of us, maybe we'll be convicted or challenged, or maybe after doing some of the things I suggest, we'll be convicted or challenged to give more, to be more generous. Maybe with our time and our skills, our talents, our resources, maybe with finances. And, and even if we're convicted to do more, this should ultimately lead us to a place of joy. We're happy that we've noticed this. We're happy we've heard this from God. We're happy we're able to live out of this place of generosity. But I also hear from other people as a pastor occasionally that, that, hey, Pastor Mike, we've been given to the church this amount or this amount, and we might have to cut back for a couple of months because this is going on in, in my life. When I hear a question like that, I hear someone who obviously has great concern for the church and its well-being. I hear someone who is asking a question out of a need that they have and is also perhaps slightly worried that a response is going to come that might have some shame or guilt attached to it. And I, and I want to go back and say, well, the joyfulness works this way as well, right? I mean, if, if, because you've got a need going on, you've got a medical situation, whatever it might be, and, and you say, okay, I've been giving at this level, but I need to take it down at this level for a season, you should be joyful. You, that new amount that you're giving it comes out of a, a, a cheerful heart. Why? Because there's no external rule that you do or don't have to meet. The rule given to us is to, to work on it, to think about it to decide it. And once it's been decided, to proceed forward, to do it with joy in one's heart and their life. The language Paul uses, have every person decide in their own heart, it's language of intentionality and planning and preparation. I think this, more than giving out something that might say, like, everyone needs to give this amount of money to this cause or that cause or this cause or this percentage of their income, I think it's this that leads us to the right place of obedience to the Scripture's commands to be generous and also has to do the appropriate spiritual work in our own lives that helps us grow into Christ-likeness. One of my favorite passages in the Scriptures comes from the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians 5, verse 15, it says, Look very carefully at how you walk as wise people, not as unwise people, making the best use of the time. Be intentional, he says. Think about what you're doing. Think about where you're going. Think about the steps that you're taking because that will determine where you end up. And so when it comes to giving and being generous, I think you and I have two main responsibilities. The first is gratitude. It's always gratitude. Everything in the spiritual life begins with thankfulness for God, for his love, for the gift of life given to us, for the gift of new life. And then the second responsibility is to simply submit to the Lord our lives. Submit to the Lord our thoughts. Submit to the Lord our time and our talents and our skills and our resources. Submit to the Lord our plans. And I want to give you this morning three, three ways that perhaps we might be able to do this. Three steps, three questions we can ask ourselves to flesh out on the ground what this might look like to live and live generously. The first one is this. I think that you and I are called, all of us in this room, to ask the Holy Spirit to deepen our commitment to the kingdom of God. This is not a one-time thing. This is not just a financial thing or a generosity thing. This is something we should be constantly asking ourselves. But you and I are called to, before we get down to the nitty-gritty, I think, of thinking through finances and gratitude and generosity, are, are just called to ask the Holy Spirit 
to deepen my love, deepen my allegiance, deepen my desire for God and his kingdom and for my participation in that kingdom. Because your budget will never, will never outshine your desire. Right? I mean, your, your budget for God's kingdom is never going to jump ahead of your desire for God's kingdom. Does this make sense? Where's your, where's your heart at? Where's your mind at? Where's your soul at? You and I constantly need to be asking ourselves this question. If you're like me, oftentimes the answer that comes back is, is maybe not. Maybe my heart's not quite at the right place. Maybe my desires aren't quite in tune with what I see laid out in Scripture. And then we can ask the important questions of why and why not. We can have those important discussions with ourselves and with others. A chapter before the one we read in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 7, he says, Excel in these things as you excel in faith, and knowledge, and love, and speech also excel in this act of grace. This act of grace, he's talking about the collection, the giving, generosity. This is something Christians are called to excel in, to grow in. Just like we grow in love. There's no point in our Christian life where we're like, okay, we've loved enough now. Check mark. We can move on. What's the next Christian thing? No, at all times, we should be looking out around us and go, how can I be more loving? How can I grow in my love towards other people? How can that love mature and develop, be more fruitful in our speech, in our faith? Again, there's, there's not a point where we're like, okay, I got the speech thing down, done. No new situations will ever occur. We'll have to, to think through speech again. There's no level where like, I got the faith thing done. No, at all times, we should be excelling and growing and leaning forward into these things. So he says, this act of grace, with being generous, with giving and meeting the needs of God's people and the people around them. So we have to ask the Spirit. It starts with simply an invitation, I think. This is not something that fear and guilt and shame and manipulation can really do very well in a human person. This is not something that you yourself can actually do very well inside of yourself. It's something you simply have to ask God for. God, line my desires up with your desires. Line my heart up with Line my insight up with your insight. As we excel in all these things, he says, so excel in this act of grace. The question for Christians at all times is, how can I be more generous? There's never a level, I think, that we get to where we say, okay, I've got the generosity thing checked off. I've, I've met those boxes. I've met the mark. No, at, at different times in our lives, I think it's a good thing for us to sit down and think through how we're being generous with our finances, how are we being generous with our time and our talent and our resources and our skill sets and our gifts? How can I be more generous? How can that mature and develop? How can that be more fruitful in my life and the people around me? The second step is this. The second thing we might do is conduct what I'll call a, a generosity audit. A generosity audit. Um, and it consists of a couple things. The, the first one is this. Really, it consists of being honest and getting informed with what's happening with your time, talent, and money. Knowing what's going on. Um, when you survey American Christians and you ask them what level of giving they think is generous or not generous, and then you survey their own um, level of giving and have them match up with how satisfied or dissatisfied they are with that, what we find out pretty consistently is American Christians think they're much more generous than they are 
I mean, we generally think that we're pretty generous people, and that feels good. And then when we actually are forced to lay it out, like on a spreadsheet in front of someone else or just in front of ourselves, we're we're often often like, ooh, maybe not. (laughs) Or at the very least, we're like, ooh, that doesn't match up with what I said before I looked at my own numbers. I mean, we talked about the the 10% thing last week. And I said, look, for you as a person or as a family, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with 10% as a, as a percentage. And I'm, I'm certainly not saying that that should like make you really relieved because 10% is, is a significant portion of your finances. Often it is the case that when Jesus takes us from something in the Old Covenant and kind of fulfills this in his spirit, it's not lessening the bar, it's, hiding, it's, it's, it's raising the bar. He does this when he talks about adultery and murder and oaths. He doesn't lower the bar. He, he frees it. Often it's the grace of God that allows us to do more. Paul in Galatians says the, the law, this external, these rules, they, they were a tutor. They were a babysitter. They were a guardian. To make sure you were in the right place for when the Spirit showed up, to be filled with the Spirit and then be fueled organically into the fullness of God's kingdom. The, the 10% and saying that's not a, a like, universal claim for everyone and at all times, it's not to say that that's not a good claim for you and for your household or for your family. That's, 10% might be what you decide on. But again, it might be 25%. It might be 90%. I don't, I don't know. And I don't claim to know for you. There are a lot of variables in, in everyone's life. But you, I don't think, can ever come to a conclusion that's well-intentioned and prepared for if you don't actually sit down and think about it. If you don't know what's happening. It's ironic to me that the Christians do kind of seize on this 10% tithe idea, and it just doesn't work out like this. Again, depending on who you read and what studies or statistics you look at at what time, the average American Christian, when they give, gives about 1% to 3% of their income. I'm not sure, I don't want to speak for everyone, but I'm not sure that if you had like really looked out through your, your financial situation and really like, we did an audit, right? And you ran the numbers, and it came down to like 1.28%. This is how much I'm giving back. This is how much I'm not spending on myself. If you'd be like, nailed it. <laughs> I'm going to start leading some generosity seminars. I'm going to start a side gig, teaching people how to live into God's gracious generosity. This 1% clearly reflects God's self-sacrificial love and generosity. Like, I, I, I think perhaps, like, just the first step of knowing what's happening, right, might open us up to a new level of conversation and discernment and conviction or encouragement about where we are. This is true, I think, both of our finances and of our, our skill sets. So one of the things that happens, and, and this seems to be true for younger people in the church than older people, <laughs> is that a lot of giving is spur of the moment. Um, and this is kind of fostered by the world we live in a little bit. It's fostered by the needs the world goes through, which aren't always planned out, right, in in certain sequences. There might be a hurricane. There might be some kind of um, human AIDS uh, need somewhere, and so we we raise money for that, and we give to that, and the spur of the moment seems to, in the studies, be one of the things that drives our general feeling of satisfaction with our generosity. Um, But... I don't think spur-of-the-moment giving sets you up, I think, to really fulfill what the scriptures are after. It takes intentionality, it takes preparation, it takes planning. And also I would say those things, being intentional, planning, preparing, those things help you give in the spur of the moment. 
Um, at one point in my life, I was lacking a lot of financial literacy, and so I was trying to kind of really learn some of the, the tools that I didn't really get along the way that I needed. And one of the things I discovered was like in a monthly budget, there's this thing called a king fund, where I can say, like, oh, I'm going to set apart $100 a month for car maintenance cost, even though I might not spend that in this month, knowing that throughout the year, right, this will all kind of equal out. Like, one might do that for spur-of-the-moment type giving. I want to give a couple thousand dollars. I don't know when or where, though, right now. But sitting down and preparing myself in position to be, in First Timothy, ready to share, I'm going to be wise and be intentional. I'm going to decide to meet that opportunity when it comes. So being honest, being informed, understanding what really is happening, I think goes a long way towards meeting these, these commands, meeting these principles. It's hard to happen if you don't know where you're going or how it's being spent. It might be the case that after doing this type of a generosity audit, you might have a question like, I don't know how I feel about the fact that I'm giving away like less than half than I spent at Starbucks, right? Like, but that's something you can never ask yourself until you actually look at, at the patterns and the, the actions and the, the, the spending. And if it's true that generosity is about more than just meeting some external rule, if it's about your spiritual life, it's about your witness in the world, then these questions, which can seem sometimes very burdensome or challenging, are, are really invitations into more joy and freedom. It's more experience in God's abundance kingdom. So you, you might just see what's happening. Am I, am I using my gifts and skills? Am I, am I volunteering my time as much as I think I am, as much as I'd like to, based on what, what is happening in my life right now? Is that how my money is working? Am I pleased with that? And then the second part of a generosity audit is it's not just, just you, but then you have to invite Jesus into this conversation, right? And you have to say, okay, Jesus, Holy Spirit, what do you think about this? I give this to you. Is this where I should be? What, what should my movement and reactions be to this information in front of me? You know, where we spend our money tells us a lot about what we value. This is why Jesus, it seems in the Gospels, he, he places God in competition with money in a way that he doesn't do with any other type of thing in the world. Because money often competes for our allegiance and our worship in a way that other things don't quite have the same power to compete with. Money is kind of an extension of ourself. It proves what we value and what we, we think it's worth, worthwhile, worthy to us. So what we're doing with this is a reflection of our, our, our spiritual relationship with God, of where we are, and we've got to invite the Spirit into this process. And I would say if you've got the community to do so, you should do this with a community. You should do this with other people. If you're married, I think you should certainly be doing this together. If you have some kingdom community, maybe that's a friend or a couple friends or a small group, and there's sufficient trust there and sufficient levels of grace proven there, this is the kind of thing that would be great to open up about, to share with. This is, I think, one of the markers for how spiritually mature your spiritual community might be. It's how honest can you be with one another, particularly about finances. 
Because to the level that you are unable to do so, it exposes some things. A lack of trust, or lack of grace, or some interactions in the past that haven't given you reasons to trust or give or give grace to other people. But we know a couple things about hum- human beings, psychologically and in the scriptures. Um, we know that we're often very good at rationalizing our own actions to ourselves. The heart can be deceitful. And so it's often other people are able to, to look at what I've got and am doing and say, hey, maybe this doesn't add up the right way, or maybe you want to think about this, or here's an idea for that. But if I'm left on my own or doing this completely by myself, then I might be like, I don't know. Netflix is pretty important to me. In a way, when I watch Netflix, I recharge myself and prepare to give more of myself in the ministry of preaching, and so I'm going to continue to invest, right? I mean, you can kind of come up with all types of different ways, and someone else, like my, my lovely wife, might be like, Mike, you're just being stupid. No. It's not, it's not, you're not allowed to use that. Community can be beautiful in, in that way, if it's, if it's there and if that trust and grace, again, is there. You know, I've, I have changed my opinion of generosity and the Christian posture towards generosity than it's been in the past. Um, in the past, I used to kind of think a little more universally about these things. I used to think that like, there was a certain line you might draw where you could very easily say like, a Christian's being greedy, right? The Christian's not being as generous as they should be. Um, you know, this is too many homes to own. This is, this is too many boats to have. This is too many vacations to take or whatnot. And, and what I've experienced over a couple, uh, about a decade of ministry, and, and what I continue to experience is that there are those who use their blessings in a way that primarily benefits themselves, but, but then there are also those who use their blessings creatively and intentionally and in powerful ways to bless churches and individuals and different groups of people and different ministries. And so there, there might be the, you know, a ranch. And you might think like, okay, with all the needs that are out there in the world, this does not seem like you've signed up for this like unwritten rule of poverty that, that I'm thinking all Christians should have signed up for. But, but you might not be aware that that ranch is being given, right, for weekends for a sex slavery ministry to, to take survivors out to and minister to. Pastors regularly come in and are able to stay and recharge and, and be with their families. In the past, right, I'm, I might have said, like, I don't know if it makes sense for Christians to own, like, a bunch of jet skis. Now I'm just like, you should be sharing those jet skis with me, okay? This is just creative ways to make these things work where all of us, right? Sometimes Christians get the sense that we're not supposed to enjoy anything ourselves. But this is not what you find in First Timothy. God's richly provided for us to enjoy all things. And there's ways where it's not an either-or, we can enjoy by giving and giving sacrificially, or we can enjoy, and, and then even in our enjoyment, find creative and intentional and real ways to bless others and, and be generous in our giving for other people. I think until you do this audit, you, you really don't have much information to really work with on an individual level. And you, you might come down to the numbers, and, and again, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to step on toes or anything, so, so here's what's true when it comes to talking about money. Um, we all have different thoughts about money from how we were raised, and we all have different habits from how we were raised and grown up. And so when you get married, if, if you get married, if, if you're married, what has happened is your thoughts and your habits from childhood and, and your life meet up with someone else's very different thoughts and very different habits. And there's some miscommunication sometimes, and there's work that has to be done. 
take this like small level of dysfunction and times it by like 50 in time you're in front of a group, right? We all have different experiences with money. We have different ways we've been hurt by people who maybe have been trying to manipulate us by talking about money, things of that nature. We all have different habits. But we, we might, you know, looking at a spreadsheet in front of us go, okay, the, the scriptures seem to talk about generosity in language of like investment language. Store up for yourself something for the future. And we might go, Okay, I don't, I don't know if I'm comfortable that more of my money's being stored up for my future. I know it's going to my retirement account. Again, I'm not, I'm not trying to give any like, specific rules for any specific person. I'm saying these are the type of questions you can ask yourselves and be honest about. When you're able to do this type of heart reflective work, First, you ask the Spirit, deepen my commitment to the kingdom, to God's will and his desires. And then, if I'm going to be generous, I've got to know where I am. And knowing where I am, I've got to ask the Spirit to lead me forward from that place. How can I be more generous? What's the next step to take? And that's the very last thing. One, ask the Spirit to deepen your commitment to the kingdom of God. Two, do a generosity audit, perhaps, in your life. And then three, what's the next step? What's the plan? Where do you go from here? Life's not about reaching perfection. The spiritual life is not reaching perfection. It's about moving. It's about being on the journey, being on the path. And so for some of us, it might be like real simple things or or might not seem all too outwardly focused. Like, okay, I'm going to start to work on lowering my debt because once I've got debt under control, I'll be able to be more generous. I'll be in a better opportunity to share with others. Or it might be, okay, I'm going to cut some expenses back so I can give a little bit more. I mean, whatever it looks like, what's that next step? What's that next plan? And then just commit to it. Just move forward from there. And from there, you move forward again from a place, I think, of joy, cheerfulness. Decide in his own heart what to give and be cheerful about it. And it'd be great to have some amount of money or some percentage for me to, to give you that you should be giving to the church or other nonprofits or what have you. And for me to, be able to go back to the board and be like, pretty sure giving will go up, so sit tight. But that's it. That's the sermon. That's the series. We live in a world of abundance. We've been created and redeemed by a God of generosity We've been called to participate in that generosity. It's a good thing for us. It's not something that burdens us or tightens us down or hinders us. It's something that helps us flourish. And how do we get there? How do we move forward? I think it's going to be work that, that you've got to do with your family, with your close friends, and in particular with, with God. And if at any point you start to feel shame or guilt, start to feel some compulsion, this is a clue for you to step back. Approach God again in prayer. Look through the scriptures again. And then get back into that process from a a better frame of mind. We're about to enter the Thanksgiving season. And I know generally talking about generosity around Thanksgiving is a 
pretty well mapped out thing here. We didn't plan that on purpose. If you've been here for a while, you know those things just don't get planned like that. But it, 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 as it has, so it's worked out. And we'll, we'll be given a time, most of us with family and friends this week, to, to think about the things we've been given and that we're grateful for. And then before you can take that nap from the turkey and or whatever juice you're drinking at your house, you'll wake up and it'll be Black Friday and Cyber Monday. And the world will have spent eight months preparing for you because they've got a program for you. They're trying to disciple you. They've got a kingdom for you to live in. That's one of consuming and spending. Sometimes more than you have. And the gospel says, no, be prepared. In our scripture reading, live a life worthy of the gospel that God has called us to. So you and I, by taking some time out of our lives, by sitting down and thinking and reflecting and asking questions and answering them honestly, can position ourselves, I think, to, to walk in the generosity God has called us to walk in and in so doing to receive all the blessings that he has promised to move our way.